Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. God's given me a word to not just preach to you, but to pronounce over you today. And so if your heart is open, if your mind is receptive, if your ears are ready to hear, I believe God is, is going to speak over you. We're so thankful for all God did. Pastor Jude coming last week was phenomenal. The, the session we had Saturday, opening the lobby, so many great things. And, uh, and the church is on the move, many, many great things going on. But I want to move us into a new season. We're going to stay with the series that we're on where we are just talking about Jesus. He is the centerpiece of the church, and we'll never move off him. Um, as you know, I might change the series eventually, you know, a couple years from now, but we'll never move off Jesus. Um, uh, but I want to move into a new season. I mean, you can think of it w- with me uh, like, like, um, like your favorite television show. You have the series, and then you have seasons, and then you have episodes. The series right now is Jesus. I want to move us into a new season. And in this season, we're going we're gonna to go sermon by sermon, episode by episode, week by week, and we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. So that's the new, the new season right now, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to talk about it maybe for the next three or four months, going through it section by section, because this sermon is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man who ever lived. It is the banner under which we live and we move. It is the flag that we fly. This is our premier document that we live our life by. If you were to travel right now to the United Kingdom and go to a little town of Salisbury, there's a great cathedral there. Salisbury Cathedral is built in the 1200s and it houses a very important document. It's a document known as the Magna Carta. It was in the Magna Carta that some of the things that we take for granted in our in our. Uh, in our livelihood and in our civic engagement, it was in this document that these things were first granted. Things like the, the government not interfering in the affairs of the church. Things like being judged by a jury of your peers and not just, you know, a one corrupt magistrate. It was in the Magna Carta that, that uh, you, the, the concept of having land that you could own was first written down. So this document is a revolutionary document written in the 1200s. But what's interesting about this document is it's housed in this church that was also built in the 1200s. And I just think there's something appropriate and unique about the document that gives us liberty to be housed in the house of the Lord. The, the, the document that, 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 that gives us, gives us uh, it doesn't give us, it recognizes our right to free exercise of religion, being housed in the ultimate place of liberty. There's something very beautiful about this. And of course, from the Magna Carta, we get the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the Constitution. I don't know where the Constitution is housed. Uh, uh, Nicholas Cage's basement or something. I don't... But if you were to go there, you were, to go, you were able to go in this church and view this document. See, the Sermon on the Mount, that's our document. It is the premier document of what Christianity is. It is our rights and it is our boundaries. The, the Sermon on the Mount is, is, what, is, is what we build our church around. 
It is the Constitution for every single Christian. I've got a, a, a Bible. It's a really beautiful Bible. It's a, it's a King James leather-bound mantle Bible. It's like that thick, you know, and it's, it's, you know, so kind of one that you record, you know, your, your kids and their birthdays and, and you hand it down in generations. It's this beautiful leather-bound Bible. But what's, I was opening it the other day to see what, what the Sermon on the Mount looked like in King James, and I realized that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they put the Sermon on the Mount right in the middle. Like, it's also in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but this is what it looks like. They have this whole section with beautiful calligraphy where, where the, the people that bound this Bible— determined that we, whoever would own this, should not miss the Sermon on the Mount. So they take it from the normal text and they make it beautiful and they put it right in the middle between the Old Testament and the New Testament to say, whatever you do, don't miss this sermon. And this was a sermon that was spoken. It was preached by Jesus to the common people on a mountain outside of the Sea of Galilee. I would encourage you to read the entirety of this sermon. I'll release a, a, a video re reading all of it that you can kind of listen to. And over the next few weeks, we're going to get it deep into our hearts. But I want to start at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount with what is called the Beatitudes. And it being a sermon, I'm going to start it like a sermon from my old school pulpit. <laughs> would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to read 12 verses to you, but as I read these verses, I want you to put, your, put yourself in the perspective of the original hearers. Go up the side of the mountain with Jesus. Look over the region of Galilee. We've got some footage that we took at Galilee that I'm going to play as we read this so that you can even see the setting that Jesus is speaking in. And I want for you to imagine yourself as Jesus reads the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says this, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can the church say, amen. 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 Isn't it astonishing how Jesus starts out this sermon? Not with a joke, not with a story, not with a parable, not with commandments, not with woes, 
But Jesus begins this sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached, the document of Christianity with the pronouncement of blessed. Isn't it powerful that when God comes down from heaven to earth, he comes with this word, this pronouncement, this declaration over them, over you, over your family, over your children, over your mind, over your future, over your body, over your assets, over everything that pertains to you, he says, bless. This is the opposite of what the enemy says. This is the opposite of the, what the world says. If we're being op- honest, this is the opposite of what we say over ourselves. The amount of things you pronounce over yourselves that are lies or are foolish things or are not true or born out of shame, none of that does God agree with. This is what God says over you. Blessed. 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 Over and over. He pronounces his promise over you. He pronounces his declaration over you. He begins with blessing. Amen. Why? Because Jesus is here to show God. He is God in the flesh. He's here to show God's position towards you. He's here to show how God speaks over you. He's here to show you how God views you. Not how you feel God views you, but how God actually views you. And God's position towards his people is to bless them. He's a good father and he loves his children. He loves his children. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you who are evil, if you ask your child, if your child asks you for bread, will you give him a stone? Certainly not. He says, how much better is your heavenly father than you? When it, he, said, he compares us, he says, you're evil in comparison to how good God is. And if you would give good gifts to your children, how much better will God do towards you, his child? And so God comes with this radical pronouncement. It's opposite what the Pharisees said. It's opposite what religion said. It's opposite what the people believed. It's certainly opposite what the enemy proclaims. He instead says, I'm going to bless you. He begins, Jesus begins with blessing. This is his heart towards his children, his heart towards you, that you would have a blessed life. Well, then the question, I guess, is what is a blessed life? If we're blessed, what does that look like? I think sometimes when we hear the word blessed, we do think of cars and homes. We, we, we do think of finances and bank accounts, symbols, amounts. Sometimes when we think of blessed, we think of promotion or influence or status or recognition or adoration or being known by others. Sometimes when we think of blessed, we think of all of these natural things, temporal things, earthly things. But Jesus comes to give us a a new and radical definition of what being blessed even is. Who even is blessed? What is he here to do? He's here to show us the kingdom of heaven's view towards earth. Yes. And so, so God's going to flip things upside down. The whole Sermon on the Mount is, is God showing you what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And, and, and so those things we think of when we think of blessed, many times our concepts are just too small. Our concepts of blessing are so earthly. Yeah. 
temporary. Here today, gone tomorrow. Our, our concepts many times of blessings are circumstances or, 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 or assets. And God wants to bless something, show you what blessing is on a, such a greater level. He, he wants to give you an eternal mindset and an eternal value system. And that's why when God, when God goes to preach this sermon, he brings his people up on a mountain. The mountain matters. The more you study Jesus, the more you realize that all of his sermons correlate to the locations that they're preached. He used his, he used his location as, as, as a three-dimensional screen. And, and so, Jesus, so Jesus, before he's going to tell us what heaven is like, he wants to bring us higher. The mountain matters in this location because God wants to show you what the kingdom of heaven is like. And you can't do that in your everyday. You can't do that in, in where you live and, and, and who you know. God, God says come up higher. Come up higher in your thinking. Come up higher with your body. Come up higher because I'm going to proclaim something over you. And this is what God does. The last time the people of Israel were gathered in a mountain, it was Mount Sinai. And they were given thou shalt nots. But now Jesus, knowing they can't fulfill those thou shalt nots, says, I'll fulfill those thou shalt nots and I'll bless you instead. I'll fulfill the law and I'll grace you instead. He comes as a greater Moses. And you're going to see this in the Sermon on the Mount. He over and over says, you have heard it said. Then he quotes Moses and then he says, but I say. Because he's greater than Moses in authority. And he's coming to bring a new revelation. So he brings them back to Mount Sinai and he speaks, but he speaks with tenderness with love, with affection, so that we might be open to coming up higher in our revelation of who he is. Isaiah tells us about God. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Today, God is calling you higher. He's calling you to think on a higher level, live on a higher level, have values on a higher level, operate on a higher level. When God saves us, he elevates us. He lifts us. He brings us higher. So Jesus said, I can't preach this sermon down in the valley. You got to come up here because I'm going to give you a piece of heaven and show you the mind of God. Amen. Blessed. And if that's not radical enough, he then, he then gives us the categories of blessing. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, hold on. If you're blessed, how can you be poor? See, the Beatitudes are a divine paradox. The Pharisees at that time said, if you're poor, it's because you're cursed. If you're sick, it's because you're cursed. If you've lost, it's because you've done something wrong. But Jesus comes to say, no, I'm here to bless those, please hear me, who really need it. Please hear me. God blesses the burdened and the brokenhearted. This is who God comes to bless. The burdened and the brokenhearted. Therefore, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourners, those in grief. Blessed are the meek the quiet, the lowly. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are the persecuted. These are all people that 
would think that they're not blessed. And maybe you've bought into that lie. You think maybe because I'm struggling in this area, how could I be blessed? Or because I'm not everything I could be or everything I wanted to be or, or because I'm not enough or I lack in an area, then I'm not blessed. But that's a lie from the enemy because circumstances are not the final indication of whether we are blessed or not. Our circumstances don't bless us. There's something greater than your circumstance. It's the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And if he has called you blessed, you are blessed in the name of Jesus. No one can take it away. No one can separate you from it or it from you. And Jesus has come to bless those that the world would look down on, spit on, mock. He comes to call those people blessed. He sees and he knows and he loves. It seems to me that God comes and blesses people in one of two categories. One, he blesses the people who actually need God's blessing. Yeah, that's right. Are you poor in spirit? Are you meek? Are, are you having challenges? Are you grieving? He comes to bless those people. Wow. Bless us. And then the second category, it seems to me, that Jesus blesses within is people that want God more than the blessings. He blesses the people that need blessings, but actually want God more than the blessings pure in heart, the persecuted, the peacemakers. He says, you are already moving towards what it looks like to, to live like me, so I'm going to bless you. He blesses those that want God even more than the blessings. Amen. This is powerful, Amen. especially into a culture where, where the, the holy people, the blessed people, were the ones that wanted the blessings and wanted all the adoration that came with the blessings. And thought all of the people that Jesus put in that category were worthless or under or sinners. Jesus comes to reverse the entire social order in, in, in one beginning of a sermon. It's, it's so powerful. And it is a paradox. I was speaking with a friend this week and he was saying, he was saying to me, and we were talking about the Beatitudes, and he was saying, like, how is it possible? Because it's, it's difficult when you consider it. How is it possible that people who mourn could be blessed. People who are in grief, how could it be that they're blessed? But I'll tell you, I've been to enough funerals and I've been in enough hospital rooms at this point to see that there is some sort of a divine comfort that only comes when you are at your lowest. There is some sort of a Holy Spirit encounter that only comes when you're mourning. You, you only feel the arm of the Lord in moments like that, that closeness. That closeness, it comes from, from those moments. It's like those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're the ones who end up seeing God because they're searching. They desperately want it. It's only those that end up looking for God that God ends up finding them. It's this amazing paradox that God brings into our life where he flips all of these things upside down. I mean, think about this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I thought the hustlers. I thought the ambitious. I, I thought the businessman. I thought the hard worker. I thought the people with passive incomes, multiple streams. I thought they got the earth. 
But Jesus says, blessed are the quiet, the humble, the lowly, the people you wouldn't even consider. God says, I've got the whole earth. I'm going to give it to them. He flips this whole paradigm upside down in his coming. And he chooses to do it to you. I love that he ends, I love that he ends the, the Beatitudes by saying, and blessed are you. Those of you that are persecuted, that have given up things to follow me, God pronounces a mighty blessing on you. And I think sometimes the problem is our culture is so blessed that any adversity is construed as the absence of God's blessing. I think we've, we are so blessed in, in our culture and even in our lives as Christians that any time we hear no, we think we're under a curse. God, where did you go? I was like, I'm right here. I'm just saying no. It's like my middle son, you know, he, when, I say, when I say no, he's like, well, you don't love me? It's like, no, no, I love you, but I, I love peace and quiet more, so you're not getting that chocolate, man. Or that orange juice. Even orange juice gets him going. <laughs> I love you, but no. I, I think sometimes because we have been so blessed that we think any adversity is a lack of God's blessing. And that's not, that's not true. It's not the proper way of even viewing things. In fact, Jesus himself says, says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm thankful that he tells the truth. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, be encouraged, don't be let down, don't give up, for I have overcome the world. So the only true adversity then, or let me put it this way, the only true absence of blessing is if you have to go through adversity without Jesus. Whatever you go through with Jesus, you will go through with the hand of God, the protection of God, and the blessing of God. That doesn't mean he will fix every single thing the moment it happens so that you live a completely comfortable, isolated bubble life. That's not, that's not, that's not how God works. We live in a fallen world, and in this world, you will have trouble. But make no mistake, God's blessing is in the presence of adversity. If you had to go through the adversity without Jesus, okay, then, then that's not blessing. But the truth is, whatever you go through, God will go through it with you. He will bless you even when you're sick. He will bless you even when you lost your job. He will bless you even when things aren't lining up at work. He will bless you even though your kids are acting crazy. He will bless you. And better than that, you will not have to go through that adversity alone. He will walk every single step along with you, and he will lift you up through it. You will grow through that adversity. You will get strong through that adversity. You'll cling to Jesus in that adversity. Isn't it amazing how you almost don't even need God's blessings, really, until you go through adversity, and then you're like, God, bless me. Like two weeks ago, God's like, you were fine. It's like, yeah, well, you know, I got my tax returns then, okay, but now God bless me. The, the reality is, it's not even until we go through those difficult situations of adversity that we are moved towards God might, God's mighty hand of blessing. And God does not remove his hand of blessings when you go through times that are difficult. In fact, I believe God comes even closer to you. 
The reality is it's the absence of God in the adversity. That's when you have the absence of blessing. But the presence of God in adversity is God's blessing through the adversity. Psalm 91.3 says this, Surely he shall deliver thee. I, I feel like that verse is for somebody today. Surely, without a shadow of a doubt, make no mistake about it, he shall deliver thee. He will comfort you, he'll come close to you, and he will walk through this thing with you. I think about the story of Moses when he walks through the water. It's not that it wasn't difficult or fearful, and it's not that people weren't coming to kill Moses and the people of Israel, but there's a greater promise than the current circumstances. Surely he shall deliver you. Think about the three Hebrew children. I've been thinking about them a lot lately. It just kind of as, as I'm, I've been meditating on the Old Testament, this story has just been so alive in my imagination. They, these, these young men, had, they had been brought into slavery into Nebuchadnezzar's land. They, they had been taken from their home. Jerusalem was destroyed. And here they, they find themselves in a foreign land, literally enslaved under Nebuchadnezzar. And, and they're, they're being trained in the palace. And, and Nebuchadnezzar builds up this golden image. You know the story. And whenever the music plays, because music is always connected to worship, not just in the church, but outside the walls as well. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what your children listen to. When the music is played, that's when you bow towards the idol made of gold. Well, you know the story. The three Hebrew children refuse to bow. So they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful, potent leader in the world. In one moment, he can choose for them to die. And, and he gives them another chance to bow down and says, I'll forget what happened, just bow before this image. I mean, you could imagine that this is a time of trial and adversity and difficulty. In fact, if the young men at this moment didn't believe they were blessed, you would almost get it with them. Like, how could you be blessed and be under these conditions? But here they choose to follow God despite whatever the outcome is. They choose to believe that God's blessings are eternal and they supersede whatever situation they find themselves in. And they get courage. So they say to Nebuchadnezzar, they say, our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we still will not bow. And then they say, your majesty. I don't know if it was respectful or if it was teasing him a little bit. But I think about even that as a paradox. Our God will deliver us. And if he doesn't, it doesn't change who I'm going to be. It doesn't change my faith. It doesn't change my approach. I still choose to trust him. In other words, I'd rather serve my God to my death then betray him and live. I'd rather go through whatever adversity, whatever difficulty, as long as God goes through it with me. And if his blessings are to be found in our brokenness, then like the three Hebrew children, may we say, then so be it. Because we trust God in whatever he decides to do. Why? Because we know that in the end, his posture towards us is to bless us. Whether it's here on earth or it's in eternity, he is the one that blesses, not you, Nebuchadnezzar. Not the world, not its worship, not its idols, not its false gods, not its and all it has to give. Remember, 
Satan said to Jesus, just bow down and I will bless you. And Jesus says, you're not the one that gets to bless. I'm not the one, I, 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 I'm not interested in whatever you have to give me. I will serve God and he decides whatever the blessings will be. I'd rather follow him and even in my brokenness receive his blessing. This is the kind of faith that would lead a, a man like Horatio Spafford to be able to write that great hymn, It Is Well. If you know that story, his children had gone uh, across the Atlantic and, and their ship had sunk his wife and his four daughters. They, 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 they sunk, the wife survived, and the four daughters died in that ocean. And, and Horatio was coming afterwards, and his ship stopped right beside that ocean grave to pay respect to that ship that was sunk, that went before them. And he's standing there by the side of, of where his daughters had perished. And what bumbles up in his soul is it is well. How could you write that? How could you ever have the faith to stand at that point and not hate God, not be mad at God, not be frustrated, not be angry, but instead say, Lord, it is well. Whatever is to come, I trust you and whatever you decide as blessings for my life. And he writes this song that we sing and Christians sing all over the world every single Sunday and brings deep faith to people's hearts. It was written from a man that was poor in spirit. It was written from a man that was mourning and grieving. And yet, God came to comfort him. And in this strange way, he was blessed. And in this even stranger way, because of that moment and that song, God's blessed millions Jesus comes to flip the order upside down, teaches us a, a new way to live. And the truth is, no matter what you go through, there will always be a fourth man in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar put the three Hebrew children in. He says, I know we put in three, but there seems to be four. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. The truth is, Jesus is our blessing. Yes. Jesus, Jesus became man so that mankind could be blessed by God. And so when Jesus comes down and sits on that mountain with those disciples, when his presence is here today, he's here to bless you. You might still have to go into the fire, but he'll be in it with you. He'll, he'll do miraculous things through it because that's his nature and that's his way. And we trust him and whatever his definition of blessing, we trust him and his definition to be our definition. Not our feelings, not our thoughts. Lord, we trust you. And we trust your pronouncements. That we can sing with our ancestors, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. Why? Because he's our blessing. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.